Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Cyber Unplugged from Sonic Wall. I'm Will Benton and today I'm joined by James Musk, Tash Ball and Alexis Holmes. Welcome team. Good morning. Good morning. Lex, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Will. And how are you today? Yeah, good. Thank you. Long time no speak. And Tash, welcome to uh, Cyber Unplugged. Thank you. It's my first time here. Very, very happy to be here. Good. Good to have you. So it only seems right to kick off the next series of podcasts by looking back at the latest threats and findings in the Sonic Wall mid-year threat report, which was released last week. Um, in the last six months, we've seen attacks on critical national infrastructure, such as the Colonial Pipeline and JBS Foods, and more closer to home within the UK education space. Uh, in the first six months of 2021, global ransomware was up 151%. James, I'm going to come to you. Uh, let's let's discuss ransomware. Yeah, thanks, Will. Um, well, certainly, as you said, it's a huge year-on-year growth um, for ransomware in our, in our report. And that's that's global, but it's regionalized as well. There was 234% rise across Europe. And, and as you say, a lot of those attacks uh, were focused in the UK um, on our shores and, and indeed uh, focused on education. What do you think's driving that? Uh, I think it's a clear case of like any market, it's based on return on investment. You know, attacks are increasingly paying off. Um, in addition to singular ransomware attacks, we're seeing two other ways cyber criminals are making more on ransomware, and that's through double extortion and repeat attacks. So, you know, there, there are often instances where um, ransoms are paid and then information is not provided back and you're asked to pay again or indeed uh, the criminals can steal data um, ahead of actually encrypting your data so they you pay to to unencrypt and they still retain it and let's not forget um, there's damage and, and costs of recovery of the network but as well as that there's the the ongoing impact to your brand um, and the collateral damage and and that can't be recovered and and that's I guess the issue with cyber insurance and people's approach of insure rather than 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 invest i think the more increased use of bitcoin has obviously fueled that ransom ability for people to be able to pay ransom which is untraceable right yeah absolutely um you know the crypto market's very volatile it's exploding and it's it's you know people are looking at more regulations around it because it seems to be the the easy option for for you know this this underworld and, and criminal hackers um so yeah a real concern. Yeah. However, I think with the Colonial Pipeline, I think they paid something like $4.4 million in Bitcoin and uh, the US authorities managed to recover 61% of that. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, indeed. So sometimes there's a way out, but obviously uh, it's not a common story. Yeah, sure. Okay. What are we suggesting organizations do to protect themselves against ransomware? Well, I think you need to use a a defense in depth strategy. So that's multi-layers of protection. You know, you you don't want to be reliant on, on signature based approaches. And equally, if you're moving into advanced threat protection, you know, do you really want to, to rely on one vendor's, visibility um, rather than multiple vendors. So it's definitely defense in in depth strategy. Um, Make regular backups, obviously, off network. um, Manage that process. Prevent malware from actually being delivered and spreading to devices is is the obvious one. So so the right kind of next generation security. And, And then prevent malware actually running on devices. So there are areas like, you know, rollback functionality that can really help there. Um, and I guess the final one, and one which which maybe smaller or medium sized companies may not address as much as the enterprise, is prepare for an incident. You know, create a solid, tried and tested playbook for what happens if a breach occurs. 
um, and this goes beyond IT and cyber. This goes to, to, to you know, legal HR, um, how you communicate out to your client base, insurance and, and identification of key stakeholders. So all of those things in, in people, processes and investment will help reduce the risk of likelihood of in- infection and ransomware yeah great thank you james and just 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 lastly so you're responsible for uh the education market here at sonic wall um what what have you seen in in that space with regards to ransomware over the last few months yeah so it's 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 definitely it's increased across uh public sector and government um but a particularly a particular spike in education um and that's not just higher education so so yeah there's there's been multiple uh even in the last year attacks on on university of hertfordshire newcastle portsmouth to name a few um we've had schools federations like isla white education federation and the harris federation across london also hit so it's it's really spiking um you know the customers we're engaging with are thinking of different ways um and and it all comes down to an assessment of risk really you know email is still the single biggest threat and or, or gateway into the business and and obviously post-pandemic remote access has increased an endpoint um so so a lot of our conversations are around how we secure cloud email email and and an endpoint great okay thanks james tash moving on to you so malware falls by nearly a quarter do you want to talk us through that yeah of course thanks will um so a year and a half into 2020s it was starting to seem like the halcyon days of malware might be behind us But after routinely recording malware volumes of 8 billion a year in the 2010s, the threat type peaked at 10.5 billion in 2018. Uh, Since then, there have not been more than two consecutive months of rise at any point, and the overall trend has been overwhelmingly down. So if you look at 2020, Sonic will recorded 5.6 billion malware attempts, and that's a six-year low. Um, And so far in 2021, it's fallen even further. Um, Sonic Wall Capture Labs threat researchers recorded just 2.5 billion malware attempts in the first six months of this year, which is down 3.2 billion at this time last year, which is a decrease of around 22%. But what I want to make clear is that less malware isn't the same as less cybercrime. Instead, what it does mean is that it's a sign that the traditional malware associated with with the spray and prey attacks of, of yesterday is kind of being abandoned. Um, usually in favour of more specialised, more sophisticated and more targeted attacks, which are capable of making criminals much more money uh, and leaving much more devastation in their path. So I think we've seen a decline in malware simply because it's being caught more often. It's it's too easy to do a, if you like, a spray and pray attack and it's not getting the results that people are wanting. And so because of this, what we've seen is a drop in if you like, in like malware as a type of attack, but an increase in in crypto as a type of attack. So essentially attacks have become more effective and more dangerous, but there are less of them. Um, So, and I think this is essentially a trend because we saw at the very beginning of COVID, there was a huge spike in, in malware attacks across the board, simply because of remote devices, people were using their own computers, there was no real security. Um, it was a, a really big problem for a lot of people. And that obviously allowed a huge window of opportunity for malware to get onto devices. Um, but obviously, over time, over this last year, you know, systems have been hardened to a degree, and everything is a lot more secure. So the just spray and pray technique doesn't work as effectively as it did. So now what we're seeing is much more targeted, or rather many more targeted attacks rather than just the general spray and pray. And obviously, 
like all cyber criminals, uh, you know, whatever makes money is where they're going to go. And malware, specifically cryptoware within the malware family, is where money is made. So what we've seen is a huge growth in cryptoware specifically, while malware overall has shrunk. So while there are less spray and pray attacks, bringing down the overall amount of attacks that we're seeing, what we're seeing is a high concentration of what is successful and what earns the bad actors the money that they use. I think that's why why we've seen that sort of movement. Okay, good. All right, thank you. And Tash, just back to you. So regional malware trends, uh, just talk us through that and what we've seen. Yeah, so just to pick up on a couple of the the pivotal points is the, the US and the UK, which are two countries that have been long burdened with the lion's share of malware. They've actually fallen in line, dropping 23% and 17% respectively. Cool. Okay, thanks. I think you mentioned it and maybe Lex did uh, uh, about malware spread. What, what is that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll touch on what it is. Malware totals, are they're useful in calculating trends, but less so when it comes to determining relative risk. So they ignore factors such as size, population, number of sensors, and many more factors. So basically, by calculating the percentage of sensors that saw a malware attack, we get much more useful information about whether an organization is likely to see malware in an, in an area. So the greater this malware spread percentage, the more widespread malware is in a given region. So in March 2020, for example, malware spread spiked dramatically across every region, likely as a result of of the COVID-19 pandemic. Oddly, in the absence of such a universally disruptive event in 2021, four out of six regions still saw the highest malware spread in March. The other two, South Africa and Asia, saw malware spread peak in January. Excellent. Great. Thank you, Tash. Uh, re- really, really insightful there. Um, Lex, let's move on. IoT attacks are up 59%. So not only is your treadmill going to kill you uh, when you're on it, it's going to steal your bank account details at the same time. Is that right? So I think, yeah, I mean, we've seen this growth and, you know, it's quite startling. I think IoT is something that's well established and has been around for longer than we realize. Obviously, nowadays we consider IoT to be sort of things like Echo Dots or you're looking at smart TVs or perhaps even a doorbell, a lock, or as Will said, you know, even a, even a treadmill. You know, IoT is anything and everything. It really does grow to expand. But actually, it's been around for a really long time and people don't realize this. Actually, a really humble IoT device that's been around since day one that no one ever considers is the humble printer it's in. Every organization, nearly most, nearly all homes, most homes have got a printer. You know, it is ubiquitous. It really is everywhere. And the trouble is because they're now internet connected, they give a lot of connectivity. In fact, uh, we've seen the likes of HP giving a huge, great big events, talking around vulnerabilities in, in their printers and things. They've issued firmwares to solve some really nasty problems. Um, an interesting statistic that's come out of that come out of this from Quarica is uh, out of all the organisations that they surveyed, ninety percent of enterprises uh, had actually lost data through unsecured printing, and it just goes to show that people don't really think about printers as a vulnerability. In fact, I know a, a partner that's had an end user that was uh, compromised in their organisation that lost a lot of money through it. But essentially, the printer was actually used as a beachhead onto their core network because essentially they're just little Linux servers that just run. Um, but the trouble is, because this is the Wild West, 
they're not harmed. Now, obviously, I'm talking about printers, but obviously this pushes out to all IoT solutions, and it is a problem for all of them. So, Lex, how do we how do we protect against IoT? And, and we use that that term IoT, which is Internet of Things. So, I'm at home. I've got all the safeguards on my corporate laptop. I think we've discussed this before. Um, but in my house is a connected light bulb, a ring doorbell, um, a smart TV. How do we protect those against attacks or vulnerabilities? Well, that's a really good question. And I, th- I think a core thing to understand there is obviously you want to protect your corporate workstation. So having security on the endpoint there, as you said, is a key thing to do. But the next thing to do is to consider your your sort of your home network, or even if you're a business and everybody works within the office, but you do use smart devices, is to understand your network. Uh, too many organisations use flat networks or even home users, and it's just one IP range. So essentially, your devices just get dropped on your on your router, and they all have full access to everything on that network. What you really want to do is say, here are my sort of smart devices that you know I don't need to share data between. I'm going to just put those on a separate wireless network and keep them completely away from everything else. Essentially, give them access to go out to the internet, which is great, uh, but don't give them access to come into your core network because there's no real need for them to come into your core network. You know, if an internet connected device needs to connect to another internet connected device, that's fine. If they're all on the same wireless network, your IoT devices will be able to talk to each other. But they're not going to be able to get into your more sensitive areas, you know, where maybe you've got your home computer with your, your photos that you don't want to get encrypted and everything else, or where your corporate laptop could become compromised. Um, you know, a lot of organizations don't actually harden their workstation. As a, a terrible statistic that came out was from uh, Innovate MR, who are a marketing research company. They surveyed over a thousand organizations and 43% of the respondents reported that they had unprotected devices accessing corporate data. So this just goes to show it's not just about making sure that you protect that sort of end user's local network, but also making sure that if you are letting them use a remote device, that you do secure it. I think probably what you've touched on there more from a from a personal perspective is that you know we all spend thousands of pounds ensuring that our houses are locked in the front door and you've got CCTV and all the all the rest of it but actually the uh, the real criminals can can access via a light bulb or via a ring doorbell into your into your own home into your into your personal life and collect all the things that they need to do without even knocking on the door absolutely and i think that the core crux of this is i think again covid has kind of pushed more people towards this going forward and obviously with more people home working. The trouble is, as more and more large organisations and even small businesses secure their perimeters and they make their networks more hardened so it's much tougher for criminals to get in, are you going to beat your head against a, you know, the, the poor callus of a giant castle or are you just going to go and compromise you know, a, a remote worker's soft network that's got no security on it at all? And you know, at the end of the day, it's easier to essentially do a a chain attack by jumping in, or a supply chain attack by jumping in a weaker point and using that to garner access into the network. And I think organisations need to understand that if you are going to have remote workers, you really need to take your endpoints seriously. So, James, just coming back to you quickly, as uh, ransomware is obviously clearly on the rise in the last six months, 
just talk us through the top three ransomware strains before we before we go. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> well, number one is Ryuk, um, which in the first uh, six months of 2020 nearly trebled its size, and that that relates back to a a Russian cyber crime group um, based in St. Petersburg, Russia, the Wizard Spiders. Um, so this is organised crime, right? It might be adopted and rolled out by other people, but this comes from a, a, a known criminal group. Um, at the end of 2020, Serba was the number two a ransomware family, um, held on to its spot with 52.5 million recorded hits in the first half of 2021. Um, and it's had a fairly steady growth in Q1 this year as well. And, and finally, SamSam, Sam, um, which recorded we recorded 49.7 million instances. Um, so, so yeah, a real big grower there. And, and just the, these volumes alone of those top three just show you the absolute um, epidemic that's going on with this. Uh, and as I said before, it all comes back to return on investment. You know, this works. They're going, they're going wide and big scale, but they're also delivering targeted attacks into into industry sectors that either hold highly valuable intellectual property or that they deem don't have the right protection in place and and i think that's that's the challenge there's a challenge for you know the small medium businesses and and there's a there's a separate challenge for the enterprise too excellent great thank you james good insight there into the top three ransomware strains team thank you very much uh it's been really interesting speaking to you all again uh tash if anybody wanted to download the latest threat report from sonic wall where would they go to find that to download it, just go to www.sonicwall.com slash 2021-cyber-threat-report. Excellent. Lots of dashes in there. So many dashes. Yeah. James, Lex, Tash, thank you very much. Great to speak to you all again. And we look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Thanks all the best. Peace.